Welcome to season two of Points of Connection. I'm Christian Santamaria. In a little while, I'll be joined by JJ Wright, uh, my co-host, as we continue to seek how two things that don't seem to go together are held in tension in the context of faith. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at wasting time in the contemplative life. In our first segment, we'll be joined by Tammy Schmitz, uh, Associate Director of Pastoral Care and Campus Ministry, as we unpack the connection between these two things. Then we'll be joined by Mike Hebler, uh, Director of Discernment and Advocacy Education at the Center for Social Concerns, about his class on discernment and why he takes his students birdwatching. Now, we also wanted to let you know that we recorded this episode on January 13th, 2021, a week after the riots at the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, and we'll be mentioning that throughout the show. We hope today's episode invites you to consider how your faith calls you to be peacemakers in your communities. And with that, on with the show. Shall we do this thing? Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast today. Uh, we're taking a look at wasting time in the contemplative life. Uh, as you know, or maybe you don't know, every episode we start off with just JJ and I just kind of uh, kicking it around, trying to figure out if there's a connection between these two things in faith. But we just didn't want to do this alone, did we, JJ? No, I think we're we're better <laughs> off as a trio. And so we've, we've invited our esteemed colleague, Tammy Schmidt. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Tammy, it's good to have you. Happy New Great. Year. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. <clears throat> so we're talking today about um, uh, the contemplative life and wasting time. But before before any of this, I just want I want our, our listeners to get a chance, if they don't already know you, to get to know you just a little bit. Tammy, can you share with us your earliest memory of praying? I'm old, so that, that goes way back. Um, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> many, many decades ago. Um my earliest would be, honestly, as a child, kissing mom and dad goodnight. Oh. And I was the youngest of six children, and we would just, that's what we did. Yeah. So there was a ritual in that, and then we'd have to say prayers, which would be um, the rote prayers, like, the, and our Father, Hail Mary, yeah. and, and bless people in our lives in general. So I would say just really, we had this tiny precious ritual that carried honestly when i came home from college kiss mom and dad good night really? make sure you say your prayers yes so it's um so that was kind of a foundational simple thing that happened early on in my spiritual life i'd say what's jj what's what about for you like what is your earliest memory of prayer when you just asked me that the first thing i could remember was like a first Friday mass at my grade school and every first Friday we'd all walk over in single file lines to the church and have mass. And then I think say the rosary after. So I remember okay. that. Well, that's probably 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for asking. I can share mine. Um, <laughs> so every time uh, we would get in the car, this is my earliest memory of prayer. My dad would always say a prayer, which I thought he, it was like a, an official prayer. Like the church wrote it, but I think he just said the same thing every time, which is like protect the car and like the rosary travel and the vehicle we're using. I think it's since I was probably an infant, he would do that. Why is it that you're able to name these even in its most uh, infant experiences? Um, why are we able to name these as moments of prayer? I think for me, it reminded me 
that I mentioned the word ritual, which I would have not known that when I was a kid, what I was doing, but there was a routine or ritual, which was kind of being stilled and comforting. And it also, Wyatt's prayer is it was about God. Like at the end of the day, you had to say something to God, you know? So that's to me, what made me think of when did you first connect with God or or understand what God was something bigger than yourself. And that's what came to, to my mind as we were going to bed every night, you know, at the end of the day, it, you know, talk to God a little bit. Was it something your parents modeled for you, Tammy, or did you just kind of make it up on your own? Do you remember? Oh, that's a great question. I think we, I didn't go to a Catholic school. I was raised, born and raised Catholic, but my family didn't do the rosary. We didn't do regular things. I would say I would see mom and dad at church or I would see them praying, I guess, in different ways. And at home, yeah, we did the meal prayers. So I knew there's something important about praying. There's something to me that this is what you do. Even though if I didn't understand, I didn't understand it fully, I knew this was an important part of our daily life. Do you pray when you watch the Packers play football? Very important question. <laughs> Only when they need it. I think Aaron Rodgers never needs your prayers. He's always so money. Oh, lots of prayers. Similarly to what you said, Tammy, I think when I think back on on earliest moments of prayer, there was something that my parents were trying to create space for. If we were going to, we were late to something or if we were rushing to something, there was, there was an intentional space creation for something that was beyond just what are we going to do next and where are we headed? Hey, we want to make sure that there's space here for something deeper than just our next action. Wow. Does that make sense? I guess yes. I'm, that's thir- that's 32 year old Christian looking back on like a, a childhood memory, but uh, in some ways it was like, oh, there's th- there's something that needs to be invited into this space that's beyond just like, hey, we need to go to grandma's and we're late. So I talk with students, and a lot of times when we talk about prayer, it's like nothing's happening, uh, nothing that I'm praying for is coming true. Prayer is some sort of transaction. I'm going to put in the time, and then if I put in the time, then what's, there's a yield that comes back. Either it's something I want or some mystery God gift that is supposed to come right away. If that doesn't happen, if there's no productivity, something produced out of prayer, uh, does it, is it still prayerful? Or do we have the definition wrong altogether of what we think prayer is? Yeah, I think what you're saying— a lot of people, that's how they would define prayer or that their experience of prayer. I pray for this. This will happen. I pray for so-and-so to get better. They're going to get healed. Um, and your point is, what happens when it doesn't happen? Yeah. Um, unanswered prayers. I think I do think we have a little misnomer of what prayer is. Prayer, if I could define it from my understanding, it, prayer is a relationship. It's a relationship with, with God and, and, if you're Christian, with Jesus. And so it cannot be measured just like a friendship. If I have a friendship with someone, I don't, the word productivity doesn't seem to name it. What, what happens in a relationship or friendship? Because if, if, if what I, I think you're, I think you're, I think you're right. I, I, I think when I was in my early teenage years into my early twenties, prayer was some sort of formulaic transaction. I do this, I get this. I'm realizing now it's more of a disposition. I think part of the reason why the title of today's podcast is on contemplation, it's not to say that there's actually huge differences between prayer and contemplation, but the invitation of like, how am I, how am I, how is my disposition? Not one of just like, I'm going to do this so God can scratch my back, but to actually pay attention to where love and creation and my relationality to everything, 
how can I be present to that reality that's always in front of me that can sometimes be covered up by the need to prove or to produce or to get an A on this next test or to execute this properly? What's always been there that is hard to see when I'm so filled with accomplishment, productivity, and producing? Yeah, I think what happens is we, if we can't produce, I think production, that kind of mentality um, covers up a lot of our fears, you know, because deep down, if I, you know, if I can pray for something and it happens, I got it. That makes sense. It's black and white. There's an answer. But in reality, we know life isn't like that. You know, I've prayed for family members to to not die from cancer and they died. You know, I mean, those things, for example. And so so I think you're right. The disposition of prayer is, yeah, you can pray for miracles and wish for that. I'm not saying you can't do that. But the disposition for prayer is to enter into an understanding that of God and Jesus with us and looking at Jesus walking with us in whatever life situation we find ourselves and saying, what do we need here? Do I need comfort from Jesus? Mm. Do I need strength from him? Do I, what do I do? And prayer it, connecting with God and that gives me the strength to be able to do that. And maybe an understanding of what might be happening mm. in this moment. Does that make sure, sense? Like, like you're saying prayer doesn't, prayer doesn't, make us immune to suffering. Mm-hmm. It might actually, it might invite us to recognize a connection to God in the midst of suffering, but it doesn't, it may, it doesn't let us dodge that bullet. Correct. Absolutely. The same as it helps us to understand what the joys and blessings are. You know, it's like, you know, prayer is just to me a very, w- a way to center ourselves in our innermost self to, to make space, as you said early on for God and to be connected to that. And so you have a perspective on life and life's happenings that has a lens that's a lot deeper than just productive. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, um, it helps us understand the meaning of the things in life a little differently and more profoundly, I think. Yeah, it makes God less like a genie and more like a companion. Awesome, yes. I'm just thinking of the ways in which... Um there's this idea that prayer ought to be productive, right? And I think we all know that one well, because we live in a, a product oriented culture. I was trying to kind of see the, the, the positive side of that, which was that it does prayer change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know the colloquialism that, you know, we, we pray to change ourselves and, and not to change an outcome of a situation. But what are the ways in which you've seen prayer change you? You know, I feel, for example, like what happened, I'll be honest, like last Wednesday, you know, watching the Capitol, you know, and the whole thing that happened in DC, I was filled with outrage and anger and, you know, and, and hatred, to be honest with you, just came spewing. And it wasn't until I was able to take a step back and reflect, it was a day or two and, and kind of put myself in a, in a prayerful space and go, what what am I called to do here as a woman of faith? And and prayer allows me to give that space and kind of de-escalate the anger and that, which is justified, I would say, and all that. I'm not saying you don't feel those, but then how do I live my life out of what I learned from my prayer, what, what comes out of my prayer? And so I, 
I try to move toward a compassionate response and an understanding that I think is the greater good of it all. It's still hard and challenging. I don't like it. It's easier for me to be mad and, you know, and name calling. But on the other hand, prayer allowed me to get a space being held by a loving God to have the lens to seize things from that perspective than just a ravaged person. Do you know what I mean? So, so that's why I would say prayer was productive for me. I would use that word productive. It helped me to move into a space that I think has a, a more life-giving kind of way of response, especially to such an extreme, horrible thing in our world. Does that make sense with prayer? Yeah. So did you, did you go in hoping that, that you would end with that disposition? I think you, I think that's a great (laughs) insight, JJ, because uh, sometimes in authentic prayer, you don't know what the end's going to be. And I didn't know, I just know I had to go to a, a, a space with God to be quiet and listen to that and go, what's going on here and, and discern what's happening in that. Um, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Is it going to be Tammy, get on the train and get to DC right now and do your thing. Is it, what, what is it? And that's the, that's what I talked about fear before. If you have a measurable way, like, yep, I'm going to pray for this and this is going to happen. Then it's very predictable. And then why do you even need prayer? You don't need, <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. In prayer, it's just like in relationships, you don't know how love is going to unfold. You don't know how things are going to go sometimes. And you have to be a little vulnerable and open to that. And that's what I think the heart of prayer is. And if you, and again, if you're, if you're hopefully have the disposition toward being one toward God and Christ and loving, that's what's going to form you. That's what's going to lead you. Tammy, what are you praying for these days? It's been a crazy time in our country. It's in our community. Um, we've just talked about how prayer is a portal to connection. Uh, it's a means of understanding our connectedness to not just the natural order, but even to God and love. What's what? Are, what are you praying for these days? You know what? I, I this Christmas break, I sent spent a lot of time with my nieces, and I've got a couple great nieces in the four year old range. And you know, JJ, you're a dad. You know, you know just. Once in a while, you got to see the world through children's eyes, be reminded of that. And so I am praying so much for kids and especially our college students, praying that they will know their goodness and what's in them to make this world a better place, not to sound too cachet there, but just, but truly we need people of hope that know their goodness, know that they're loved and are not afraid to unleash that. And, and I'm praying for, for that. So I'm excited to see the students again and to teach Moreau class again and to talk about those things that, that matter deep down because to me that's what's going to give hope and bring us out of this darkness. So I'm praying for, for the insight that our students really understand how much they're loved and how gifted they are and how much our world needs them. Thank you so much, Tammy, for joining us today. We're going to take a short break. In a moment, we'll be joined by Mike Hebler. (music) 
Welcome back to Points of Connection. We have a wonderful guest joining us for this second uh, segment of our show today. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, please welcome Mike Hebler from the CSC. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hi, Christian. Hi, JJ. Good to have you, man. Uh, Mike Hebler is the Director of Discernment and Advocacy Education at uh, the Center for Social Concerns at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, I, I bring you on because uh, I, I was I was rushing to teach my seminar on spirituality of justice, and I ran into you in the parking lot, and you were teaching a class. Is it on discernment? Is that right, Mike? Yes. Okay. So you're teaching a class on discernment, um, and uh, you, I was like, so what are you doing for class today? And you said, we're going to go bird watching, man. Uh, why can you tell us a little bit about in a, in a discernment class? Why the heck you guys are going bird watching? Yes, I remember that afternoon well. I believe you were rushing and I was rushing, and uh, for a moment we crossed paths. And I had a handful of binoculars. <laughs> we were going, uh, we were going bird watching. Uh, the discernment class is, uh, you know, it was about ten undergraduates. Uh, we walked around the lake for an hour to see if we could find birds. Uh, and see them, and hear them. And uh, it was with a neighbor of mine, Martin Stoner, who is a, a senior at Adams High School. Who's a He's a birder. He's an expert birder. Is that what they're called, birders? They're called birders. <laughs> and, uh, and he had been leading a, a, some expeditions around the neighborhood on Saturday mornings, um, which, of course, I was too busy to participate in and thought this would be good for me, but, you know, other things were going on. And that's sort of the whole point to slow down, uh, to, to take space, and um, literally to learn how to see. At, you know, seeing, perception, being able to distinguish, all these things we talk about in the discernment seminar are not just sort of intellectual exercises. Uh, I believe that they are um, tangible skills that need to be put in the concrete. And so if we want to learn how to see, well, we should probably go practice trying to see. And bird watching is, I think, an excellent way to do this. So, Mike, when you brought the students out to bird watching, or when you go bird watching, what are I know nothing about bird watching? Okay, so full disclosure, what are the challenges? Uh, so, you say it's, it's it's about trying to see. That's that sounds either incredibly easy or incredibly challenging. So, I imagine it's challenging. What, what's it like to try to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I also know very little about bird watching. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Um, so, in preparation for the class, we read uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer's uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, a chapter from that. Uh, Kimmerer is a member of uh, Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And uh, to think about the, the very land we were standing on, um, Kimmerer invites us into the, the ecosystem, uh, all the microorganisms underneath our feet, uh, the, the worlds that are alive that we simply pass by uh, daily without recognizing. And um, to be in relationship with, with God, God's creation, I think it takes a real attentiveness and a real practice. And so birding is nothing other than walking around the lake on campus, uh, seeing if there might be a, a bird in the tree, bird in the sky. But we have to actually listen, too, uh, to the chirps. And then, um, you know, if we, if we can't actually see the bird, we can hear it. Then we sort of follow over to where the sound is coming from. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very easy exercise. That's why I think it's so beautiful. It's so easy to go look for birds and then to, um, uh, to see them with binoculars and the different colors and the shapes. Um, 
if we can't distinguish the sounds yet, because uh, we're not experts, we can at least see the difference uh, visually. Um, and we started off with the waterfowl, which was, which was nice because the, the ducks and the geese, they're real close to us. And I remember a student saying, oh my gosh, I pass the lake every day and it's always just a bunch of brown ducks. And for the first time, I can see the blue around their eye, the red underneath their bill, hmm. the orange, the green. I mean, really vibrant, beautiful creatures that most of us don't actually take the time to look at, and therefore we don't see. Hmm. Mike, as we, as we are recording this uh, at the moment, we find ourselves, our, our world, uh, particularly this country, in a global pandemic. Um, and particularly the United States, uh, one that is increasingly of uh, greater, you know, uh, peril, uh, and a country that's incredibly divided. This is uh, we're recording this on January thirteenth, uh, but a week after uh, the storming of the U.S. Capitol. I imagine some of our listeners might be thinking, "Why the heck in this time and place are we talking about bird watching? Why are we talking about paying attention? Why does this matter?" Especially as a person, like, dude, as as far as long as I've known you, you've been a person in the community incredibly um, involved in advocacy work and justice and solidarity and kinship. Why does paying attention matter Mm -hmm. in a time that seems so, uh, yeah, it it seems so nuts? Yeah, that's a great question. And I believe you said this podcast had a lot to do with wasting time. Yeah. And uh, birdwatching, what a waste of time Uh, when there's so much going on that's so important. I think one of the fundamental questions that the discernment class asks is, what is God inviting me into? And I think to answer that question, to respond to it, um, well, it takes a whole lot of paying attention to what's going on within and what's going on around. And so, you know, birdwatching, uh, one has to pay attention to what surrounds oneself. Um, and, you know, to go back to Kimmerer and braiding sweetgrass, uh, it's, her writing is an invitation into relationship with the, with the earth, with the planet, which is ailing, which is crying, Uh, but can we hear it? Can we see it? And so again, this practice of listening, uh, being able to see, um, makes us more attentive to what's going on and makes us more attentive, I think, to God's invitation. And so um, to do this contemplative practice, I think uh, plants some of the seeds to then be uh, attentive to, so nurturing the seeds within to then go out and respond uh, to what we're being called to, what we're being asked for, what we're being invited into. And uh, when we talk about justice, I'd like to think about justice as re- relationship. And if we can co- cultivate a relationship with creation, walking around the lakes, uh, might we then be able to um, see more connections to uh, relationships that might be in our neighborhoods, in our streets, uh, in our world? Mike, you talk a lot about invitation. Uh, what types of invitations have you uh, received recently in this time? So it's funny that the class, I'm the instructor, and these are my pupils, my students. And, um, and so one might think that I know how to do this well, but uh, I think I'm like an ordinary person that uh, I don't do it well. 
And speaking of ordinary people, I believe today is the first day of ordinary time in the, mm-hmm. in the church, uh, in the Catholic Church. And um, I think that's the challenge for me, is to be attentive in the very ordinary times and spaces. So today, I was, uh, this morning, I was thinking about the podcast on the drive to my office, and I cracked my windows a little bit in the car, and I saw a couple different Vs of uh, Canadian geese flying overhead. And it was really beautiful to see that, to pay attention to that in a way that I rarely am paying attention on my drive, drive to work. And then I remember parking the car and walking to my office and in the middle of the walk thinking, did I remember anything in the last three minutes? My head's down. It's a little cold. I got my mask on. And so I think that uh, these kinds of practices are invitations to me to try to cultivate this daily discipline, which is no small task, of course. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that, is, that is the work. That is the contemplative work that I think bears fruit. You know, if I'm doing this well, I'm probably paying more attention, better attention to my babies at home as opposed to just passing time with them. Um, and I think that, that that has a ripple effect with all of our relationships. Um, and so, again, to you know, the, the question of what is God inviting me into is not... Um, it's not sort of a one-time question and now I've got the answer, but this continual deepening, this continual responding. Mike, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, it sounds like there's a lot of, of slowing down, of paying attention, of, of, of seeing, you know, uh, God in the midst of incredible detail that oftentimes is over, uh, just not seen or, or overlooked. That just, it, it, there's something about me, and I, I imagine some of the people who are listening uh, uh, might feel this too. It just rubs us the wrong way, r- rubs me differently when I think about like, yeah, but what am I doing? Like, am I doing enough? Like, is there more that I can be doing to, to for a more just world? Do you feel that tension too? Is there a tension here between like a desire for justice now and a desire to make change now and a desire to for healing now and this kind of like slower contemplative uh, pace that you're inviting your students to, or, and you're, you're a student of also, where's the rub there? And how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, one of the great tensions, especially on our uh, own campus. Um, it, we, <laughs> we're sort of programmed here to do, to accomplish, to achieve. And, uh, the more, the better. And so really, it does, I mean, we are competing in so many ways against any kind of contemplative practices here. And uh, yes, the work needs to be done, right? Yeah. Uh, there is great injustice. <laughs> we need to do the work of building God's kingdom. Um, and, uh, but it can't be forced. It can't be rushed. The, mm-hmm. This work is slow. We organize in town. And uh, wow, it's a process. Because we're dealing with people and relationships matter. And so the more we can put into tending the, the relationships, building those, uh, the, the further we're going to go. But of course, building relationships takes time. It takes time to establish some trust. Uh, it takes time to get to know one's story. It takes time to tell one's own. Um, and you could say, well, who's got time for that when 
there's so much that needs to be done. But we, we've experienced this and we believe it, that uh, the, only way this, the only way this work can happen is, is slowly, intentionally, and, um, and you're trusting the process, um, rooted in relationships. And in the organizing work, we've seen real fruit over the last few years that um, absolutely could not be rushed. Got to trust the process, man. I know you love baseball too, so it's well, you know, and even using language like um, planting seeds, bearing fruit, tending to the harvest. You know, again, Robin Wall Kimmerer has a lot to teach us, and sort of the rhythms of the earth, creation, the natural order. Uh, paying attention to that can help us understand maybe how our own relationships might flourish if there was a kind of uh, slowing down, a kind of rhythm, a kind of attending, a care, a cultivation. So I think that those connections are, are pretty real from bird watching to um, the work of justice. Our guest is Mike Hebler, Director of Discernment and Advocacy Education at the Center for Social Concerns at the University of Notre Dame. Mike, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, JJ. Pleasure to talk with you guys. As we close our episode today, we want to leave you with the prayer called Patient Trust, written by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. This is Points of Connection, a production of Campus Ministry at the University of Notre Dame.